Whether it's dismantling the fossil fuel industry, creating a solar-powered utopia, or simply desiring to hear more birds in the sky than planes, this is Idealistically, a podcast where we discuss what we would idealistically want in an ideal world. Hello and welcome to episode 6 of Idealistically. This is technically the halfway point of season 1 because my goal and my intention to begin with was to have 12 episodes of my podcast and that would be like, yes, I've accomplished 12 episodes, I can do anything now. So welcome to the halfway point. Thank you for for getting this far and listening to my amazing guests. I'm going to be honest, I feel like I need to like just take a moment to take a breath because... There's a lot going on in the world right now. There's also a lot going on in my life personally. And I, you know, I've had my fair share of ups and downs in life so far. And sometimes I think I'm not so great at actually recognizing when there's a lot going on because it just feels like nothing in comparison to previous experiences. So yeah, we're going to take a breath before going into this episode because I really need it. Um, I hope that if you need a breath that you're able to take that time and to just relax and switch off and reconnect yeah there's a lot going on it feels like there always is I feel like every episode I say this but it's why we're here folks it's why we're here because we need to try and create a world where there's not always so much going on and if there is much going on it's all good stuff it's all beautiful joyful imaginative stuff that we can create together so yeah I don't really know what more there is to say in this intro. I hope you enjoy listening to yet another amazing guest. As always, all the information you need to know about what we're talking about, things that are mentioned, where you can follow the podcast, stay up to date is always in the description. And I I give you a nice reminder at the end too. So yeah, let's jump in. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. Would you like to introduce yourself in whatever way feels best to you? Yeah, thank you so much again for having me on your show, Tali. Uh, my name is Isaiah Fernandez. I am an environmental educator and creator of an educational platform known as Crow Brown Vegan, where I create introductory forms of environmentalism through colorful graphics, um, illustrations, and video series. And really what I want to do in my main mission is to make environmental education more accessible, more fun, and more culturally understanding for different types of people in the world. Yeah, amazing. I definitely agree with the description of fun. I always find your content very joyful. And I think that's very important when it comes to climate content and social justice issues, because often it can be not not so fun in in and of itself. (laughs) Um, So jumping straight in, what is the first thing that comes to mind when you envision your ideal world? And it can be a feeling, it can be an image, whatever you kind of connects with you. Yeah, I think that when I think about that, that's such a great question. Like, I think the way that I've been living a lot, and especially these last few years, is just my role as a POC environmentalist, like how I want to contribute to this movement, ideally is to uh, respect and continue fighting for indigenous rights. I think one thing that I do want to, I know that will always be carried in a lot of people's envisioning of the world is this, this concept of people centering their existence and wellness with nature. 
I think that for so long, um, especially this society that we live in today that's hyper-capitalized, a lot of us often feel ashamed of our existences and we don't always right, take breaks or rest. And so I think for me, centering your wellness, as I tell my friends, is super important because that's what's going to give long-term sustainable work in our journeys and in our thoughts. Yeah. Are there any, I guess, ways that you try and do that within your own life already? Yeah, no, I really love that question. So I think as a content creator online where my job focuses a lot doing online work is that I made a promise to myself to not create content on weekends and to give Saturdays and Sundays off because I generally feel that, you know, I was doing this seven times a week at one point. And so it's super important that I also have boundaries with my own work and I also get time to go outside in nature and really take that time to take care of myself because I recognize that as I'm getting older, you know, a lot of the things that I used to do as younger, it's no longer the same as I am now as a 20, almost 25 year old. So I think that is something that I promised myself. And the other thing is giving boundaries. Um, I used to be really horrible at really not setting myself straightforward with friends. And so I think really advocating for myself has really, you know, intertwined to this like centering of my wellness where, you know, we talk a lot about self-care, which is sometimes rooted in like, um, not rooted, but in modern lifestyles, it's like associated with like wellness products. And so I think for me, it's not about buying products, but just the idea that of of nothing or the act to like do nothing is so powerful. Yeah, definitely. I've also started um, like taking the weekends off. And I feel like for a lot of people, like especially if you work kind of a quote unquote, like ordinary job, you maybe already have that kind of separation. But yeah, even just making sure that that time is actually prioritizing, like even, yeah, going out into nature, doing, so so to speak, nothing. Um, yeah, definitely important. Leading on from that, like what would you keep from the current world for your ideal version? Like is there part of that you can carry over? Wow, that's such a really deep question. I love that. You know, I would, one thing that I would keep always is culture. I think that our own lived experiences and our cultural-based stories from our own grandparents or our parents or siblings or cousins, like those those types of cultural stories hold so much powerful tools in the way that we navigate our lives today in some way, right? Not wholly, I would say, but I think that's one of the things I, I would not want to leave behind because that's what makes that's what makes part of me. And I think no one would ever want to ditch their own lived experiences or culture-based experiences of what they experience because that's what makes us unique in this world. And so culture is a huge part where I'm like, I would never give it away. Yeah. What's something from your own culture that, you know, you want to cling on to? I'd love to hear that. Yeah, I think it would be mostly the food. I think food, when I was younger, I didn't really understand the importance of food. I was just like, yes, we need it to survive. But I think that now with food, it's a way for people to pass storytelling down. And I wouldn't have known that, you know, my mom taught everyone in our family how to cook. And so my mom taught me how her mom taught her and how her grandma taught her. And like each food recipe has like a unique story of like how they made it during that time. 
And so for me, like recognizing that, like, yes, I do live in the West now and there's different opportunities, different like uh, products available. Those, those rich foods that I make are really sacred to my culture and my life. And so when I share it with loved ones, that's what really matters. It's not always a conversation, but the food that has a story behind it matters. Yeah. I think something I'm realizing from like having these conversations is a lot of the things that people want to keep are really simple. Like food in of itself kind of is simple because for the most part, we we all have it every day in our lives. So yeah, I, I think actually really valuing the things that we often take for granted is really important yeah no definitely and also I think for me and my relationship with food like I love like sharing meals with people I think that's also really important and I love that within like movement spaces I often have the chance to like you know we all bring food to like a meeting or something and that that is it's very wholesome so I'm I'm with you on that <laughs> I'm sure you see kind of environmentalism and social issues through many different lenses but I think you are one of the first people to introduce me to the idea of like queer environmentalism and I wondered if you could kind of explain what that is. Yeah, no, I really love this. So I, you know, queer environmentalism shames similar concepts from queer ecology. So originally when I first learned it in college, right, it talked about the idea that there are different species that exist that have either polyamorous relationships in the animalia kingdom and you know there's such there are such things as like gay animals living in the animal animalia kingdom and so for me at first i thought about you know fluidity and the freedom to exist but to really pave way of what queer environmentalism looks into is that it looks into both the liberation of these multidimensional species that do exist, right? Both human and non-human animals and how they are really used, are violated and face a lot of violence in this heteronormative world that deems it through a binary lens of you're either a boy or female. And so in relation to queer environmentalism, what it's saying is that to really deconstruct colonial attitudes, colonial structures in this world that we live in today, we must be able to recognize that each dimension holds a unique relationship to the land. And this most specifically is rooted in two-spirit individuals, some that do not identify as LGBT, just simply as two-spirit, or in different cultures, we have different people that do not do that do not exist in this spectrum of the gender of what we always see or what we label. And so I think one that's the most important thing is that when Western civilization was what you would say colonizing and pillaging and creating violence on indigenous communities, it almost created this system of patriarchy that queer environmentalism itself is obviously opposed to and continues to advocate for the justice of life for different people. So I think queer environmentalism for me means so much because I would say that in different locations in the world, the heteronormative society deems certain locations and places as either barren or nothing. But in reality, we don't know how much of that held relationships to queer communities and how that has really developed resiliency and sustainability in those societies. Yeah, well, that's really interesting. I was actually reading a book recently um, called Gender. It was like a, a graphic guide and a very basic rundown of like the concept of gender, just because I was very curious and had a lot of questions on my mind recently. And it really like just hit me how much 
Like, I often say, like, oh, it's capitalism, oh, it's colonialism, like, everything is linked back to that. But, like, sometimes it really truly is. Like, even these things like gender that we hold so tightly, not necessarily in the right way, but, like, it really is linked back to that. So, in terms of, like, your work that you do online and stuff, Um, use a lot of like mainstream platforms like Instagram and TikTok and I was wondering through that and the conversations that are opened up from it how that influences how you kind of see progress and like envisioning a better world how having those conversations in that space kind of influences you if that makes sense yeah no I really love this so I think that the conversations that are ongoing is the idea of like how do you balance with both bloom and gloom and so I think that's one of the hardest things that I think a lot a lot of audiences of course struggle with even myself and so realistically I've always told myself that you know um when I talked to my friend about it too about sustainable activism at the point where you know when I was younger when I did consider myself an activist I was always burning out every day and I was like why is this happening And so being able to really inform and educate my audience through a digital lens, because I know not everyone has access to internet, but I know that majority of the people who do follow me are from the West, which is a huge privilege on that sense. And I'm able to really help, hopefully, shape different conversations of the way that they're thinking, not because um, they should, but because sometimes as an educator myself, I didn't really have someone to talk to about a lot of environmental issues in my own university. Yes, I did with like people of color, but it was very limited in the conversations that we could have. And so I think that my goal isn't to, I guess, like influence thousands, I would hope, but just to hopefully move that needle for people to be like, okay, well, I don't really care about, you know, fashion, but now that you said something about fashion, that's really related into the work I do with recycling or a lot of people I think don't necessarily and are still understanding like myself are recognizing the intrinsic relationships of different extractive industries, whether you look into like transportation, agriculture, fashion, uh, military, prison, and immigration, industrial complex. There's always all these reports of like who's the largest climate polluter, who pollutes, but in reality they all do. And so I think this is what my goal is to really influence people of like, I don't care um, if you only like one thing, I'm going to make sure that you at least understand or are aware of these different issues. Just so when you enter different spaces, you can be like, wow, this is so true. Now I understand how it's related to my passion. Yeah, it's everything is so interconnected. That has been like my biggest lesson from learning about sustainability. It's just, it's, you can't really disconnect anything. Do you think people, like from your, the interactions you have, are people more, like you say, like bloom and gloom? Are they more hopeful or do you think people are really stuck at the moment? I guess it depends on, the, I sometimes think it depends on their age. Oh, yeah. Because I think that would, I have different generations. Like, yeah, mainly like millennials and Gen Z, but I have actually parents who follow me, which is funny because they sometimes message me about trying to get their daughter or son like more involved in climate and I which is so adorable right <laughs> and 
I think that um, adults almost have this like guilt inside them that they could have done more or they could be doing more. And so I always like highlighted that this is an intergenerational movement, right? Because I recognize that my own parents who were immigrants from Mexico weren't, you know, responsible for climate change. And in reality, like their land was lost due to the heavy investment and the displacement that governmental and, you know, cartels were feeling at the time. And so I think that's one of the most important things that we don't blame each other, but instead we like try to work with each other. And I think it's okay to disagree with people's ways of how they think, right? Uh, obviously, if there's like a deeply rooted, like misogynistic or like homophobic, transphobic or problematic remark, like I'm not saying that person should take the responsibility to call them in if they don't have the energy. But I'm saying that like, it's okay to disagree with certain people's viewpoints, especially like when I'm in vegan animal or vegan animal rights spaces, like a lot of people disagree with my viewpoints, but at the same time, like I disagree with them. But I think built in building that intergenerational movement, I think there's this almost this like confirmation in people's minds saying like, okay, no, I'm not perfect either. I'm not going to blame myself and I'm going to work in my local community. And this is because I think that um, local journalism has declined a lot. And so what that means is that when local journalism declines, global news increases, which puts more of a strain and stress on those people saying like, well, what can I do in my community? And so there's this lack of like community action that sometimes happens maybe in like uh, what you would say in higher income communities that like don't really know because lower income communities, primarily of color, um, have been mobilizing within their communities and like creating mutual aid systems. So also within your work, though, it's like you, I mean, already you've covered some more complex stuff just in this conversation, but you cover from like recently I saw you doing a video about what like different types of bread <laughs> are more eco-friendly or not. And I was like, oh my gosh, something I'd never even thought of. But you also <laughs> then go on to talk about like deeper stuff about like how we can love ourselves sustainably or, you know, what eco emotions are. And I was wondering like how important do you think those topics are um, or issues or whatever you want to call them in order to get us to where we need to be? Like, do we really need to be looking at that deeper stuff? Yeah, no, I really like this question. So I, I think that with these, like, sometimes I call them self-help or mental health um, resources is that I've always believed that it, that we need to stop suppressing our emotions, which is, you know, easier said than done, right? Because at one point of our lives, we've all been vulnerable to one people or communities and we've either been exploited, um, you know, mistrusted or seen in a negative light. And so for me, I think one of the biggest things that I've realized is that in trying to sustainably love yourself, you're not just creating this like self-help book of like, yes, positivity only, self-love only. It's actually valuing your community, like nature and yourself. 
And I think that this is what kind of gives this realistic idea of sustainability for being able to love yourself because I think that there's this idea of like, right, food is medicine, right? Community is also medicine. And so in thinking of that, like recognizing that we all have different relationships with our environments and that we're able to hold ourselves down. And when it comes to, I think, ecological or ecology emotions or earth emotions, I think that was a really interesting one for me because I think here in the West, I don't think that it was characterized as well um, because of Western's failure to recognize mental health emotions. And so for me, of course, coming from like a Mexican family too, it's a bit hard to talk about mental health issues when I was growing up. And so I obviously would assume that in different indigenous communities, knowing the fact that they understand when natural resources or the land is hurting and how it's reflecting their communities, there are sacred words that they do use in their communities to describe these emotions. And so it's not to say that, you know, the words that were coined by some white male at the end of the day are new. I think they're just new to this Western society that has forever shamed psychology and like mental health spaces is now entering mainstream conversations is great for people to recognize like where they're situated because I think again it's the idea that a lot of us feel ashamed to share how we feel and sometimes people ask like well is it a privilege to feel this way which I would say that it's some in some sense yes in some sense no because I think when we look into specifically natural disasters, like a lot of children are now have earth-based trauma where they've literally witnessed the land or wherever they live be burned away or flooded or, you know, it's, it's just, those are some of the realities. And so I think um, in trying to understand your emotions, I think those are kind of your first step in trying to be a better environmentalist because I think I've met a lot of environmentalists who are damaged inside and are like this is what it is this is the only way to fight for our planet and suppress suppress their emotions and in the long term they end up burning out and then saying i can't do this anymore and it's really sad to see that because had they given the, had they listened to their bodies and their community and their environments who knows if they still would have been in this movement so that's something that i think I kind of made in like response to like a lot of friends I had when I was like 19, 20, 21 that are no longer in the space and really just, you know, work for four corporate jobs, which obviously I'm not judging, but it's something that I'm like, I wonder if they had the time to validate themselves or, you know, I wonder who didn't give them the space to talk about their emotions. Yeah, I think like that's something that I try and do a lot and but I'm also kind of learning at the same time. Like like you say, there are people growing up now who are experiencing like direct impacts of the climate crisis and or just other, there's so many bad things. <laughs> um, like, like I can, I still try and like be open about how I'm feeling about everything, but also recognize, you know, like what I'm feeling is nothing to compare to those people. I was wondering, like in an ideal world, like, how do you see us being more vulnerable and making more safe spaces for those sorts of conversations and those sorts of feelings? Like, how do you see that in your mind, if you can picture it? You know, I think one of the things that will always be, like, 
on top of my mind is like communities being able to create safe spaces, like they are able to design them by their unique environment. But then again, there needs to be topics of how, you know, privilege plays a role in the sense of like, you know, colorism, um, heterosexism, like a lot of these ideas, like these privileges that sometimes go unnoticed. And I think it's a common thing. I think a lot of activists understand now, you know, how men have committed violence or harm to either like non-binary folks, femmes, trans women, um, women. And so these are some of the ongoing conversations I think like we need to say like, you know, if certain safe spaces only want to focus on, you know, queer or trans women, non-binary trans women, of color, they should be able to have those spaces. And so I think ideally for me that, you know, unless we're able to, you know, create this like intergenerational movement, we also need to like have allies, but specifically people from those um, identities or like, um, you know, values to confront these people, to hold them accountable. And so I think accountability culture is something that I think Everyone has learned at a young age, but I think it's often forgotten now. And so I'm a huge advocate for trying to really unlearn all of this, but also relearn it in a different way. And I think people need to be okay with the idea of saying, like, no matter what you do, it's sometimes not enough for the liberation for Black Indigenous folks. And that is something that you know, I've realized too, as a non-Black ind- Indigenous individual myself, like, I'm not going to continue when I was younger trying to, like, I guess, find validity in trying to be an ally, but more about recognizing, like, I'm here to do what I can do and help my community out as much as possible, but I'm not here to expect anyone's, like, thank you, because that's the bare minimum that I can do. So I think that is something that I would hope people kind of Uh, hopefully not realize but like understand like you know um we don't need some form of response as non-black indigenous individuals yeah there's no thank you for just being a decent human and creating that world and those spaces like that's just that should be the given um definitely So in this ideal version of your world, and obviously I say that, you know, it's everyone's world's going to be different. And I think I'm hoping through these conversations, it can kind of be a collective effort you can take from lots of what everyone's saying, um, not just one person. But what would you invent in this magical world of yours? <laughs> oh, this is such a great question. You know, I, I honestly, I think for me, what I would want to invent is so this is really funny yeah um, but don't don't shame me I was actually <laughs> telling uh, my other friend about it so I was talking to a friend saying okay why is it the fact that so many influencers and even myself as content creators get so many PR packages sometimes the gifted packages honestly like half of half of I think more than 50% of us don't even use the package or we use it once and that's it I was like why not I create a program 
where they're able to donate those free products and I'm able to distribute it to low-income communities of color that do need access to clean or hair hygiene products because there's so much of a demand and so much waste that is generated from influencers that why not they give that clothes or whatever item that they don't really need and gift it to their own communities and use it as a form of mutual aid. Amazing. That right there is like a realistic invention and solution. And I think this should happen. (laughs) I was actually um, watching a YouTube video recently and it's like a YouTuber who's like kind of kind of like a guilty pleasure. It's nothing to do with environmentalism. They promote fast fashion. I'm not really proud of the fact that I support their channel, but (laughs) they received like this giant like wardrobe as a PR package. I was just like, oh my gosh, that's even something we have to consider is just like that whole culture within like PR and marketing that stuff is just being sent just for the fun of it. And yeah, I, I think, you're onto something there. Definitely needs to happen. Definitely. <laughs> what is one thing that people can kind of take action on now to help us move into that direction of maybe a future that really understands, like, like say, like queer environmentalism or creating those safe spaces for people? Yeah, this is such a great question too. Like, I think that a lot of us, our minds always go to systemic change. Systemic change obviously is um, just as powerful from local change because in reality, like community creates change, not institutions. And the only reason why institutions have created some change, that's because the community ran for those positions. And so I think um, in reality, a lot of people need to start with themselves, right? So first start asking yourselves sometimes uncomfortable questions of like, Where do you stand in your privilege? Because I think most of the times we're more more than comfortable to be asked those questions when it's just ourselves, right? But when others ask us that, that can be sometimes uncomfortable or sometimes we need a lot of work to do. And so I tell people say like, well, what do you want to do? And ask yourself, what is it that you truly want to do like in this movement? Like, do you want to be like an activist? Do you want to be an environmentalist? Do you want to be a scientist, researcher? poet, model, photographer, podcaster, like what is it exactly that you want to do? And once you find the fact that like maybe you don't want to do those things and you just want to be someone who just advocates for it, that's okay too. Uh, Recognize that your community uh, is there and there's a lot of organizations to be able to get involved to. And just by Googling, you know, social justice or environmental justice orgs near me, you'll be able to find so much Uh, rich information out there so I I would say that I think that we are hopefully pushing we're pushing against this like shame or kind of like the unwilling to move phase to a more of like a semi-active like okay now I know what I want to do because I think a lot of people then say like oh I have to be an influencer to do this and it's like no maybe you're you don't need to and you know, I'm like, who knows if I'll be existing online in the future? What if I just one day just delete my accounts and I'm just like, okay, I'm done like doing this and, you know, I'm going to or give it, give the page away to someone else. So, you know, I think those are the important things that we all just keep in mind that um, we're all doing different works in different sectors and people focusing on one sector doesn't make you a bad person. What makes you a bad person or not bad person, but makes you maybe 
have work to do is the failure to continue ignoring the intersections of issues. So that is something that I think people can promise me is that like, it's okay if you want to focus on this certain industry, as long as you tell me that you're trying to learn other things in the meanwhile, slowly at a slow rate, whatever your learning rate is, and that's okay too. Yeah, I actually really appreciate that you said like you can just be an advocate too because I think especially with like online activism um, in the age of social media, there's this idea that activism or being an advocate means like being very public and like having like a public facing platform, but that's absolutely not it. Like you can be an advocate and just you know find that local group and go along to those meetings and like that can be your slice of it whilst you do a lot of other work as well like it's not about being this big influencer who has a name and like like yeah definitely we need to celebrate the kind of unseen work just as much I think. Okay is there any like have you got any resources? Is there anything that you've been reading lately? Anything you want to like share um, with people listening? Yeah, so there's actually, I saw this Twitter meme that said like um, two climate solution books that were recently released. One is A Red Deal, an indigenous way to save the earth that was written by the Red Nation and other indigenous or environmental organizations or peoples. Um, and the other was the Bill Gates climate solutions oh. book. And so I think, I think you may have saw it. It said once a decolonization, the other one said like, um, capitalism. And so I laughed and I actually bought the book. And this, the Red Deal is a really great book for people trying to understand how international injustices are interconnected into the extraction of natural resources. And so for myself, as someone who's still, you know, barely learning about abolition, I'm learning more about eco-socialism. Like, I think these are really great books for people to understand, like, just how really um, messed up the way that politics and neoliberal policies have really continued to suppress people of color. And so it's a really um, good book where they also criticize a bit the Green New Deal. Uh, I wouldn't say criticize, they just give feedback. And so I think um, it's really great for a lot of people not to stop their mindset of like the GND, you know, the GND, the GND is all we need here in the West. And instead the Red, the red Deal is a very holistic way of how it would be approached. And so a lot of it talks about just the idea of how we think about development and how harmful it is to not use the language but specifically the idea of like well with development like for who and to whom it specifically serves to so those are some of the great resources I guess I would plug in and you know pages obviously you know my favorite ones are like you know slow factory intersectional environmentalist you know badass activist collective um you know this is so so much more out there so I would say those are really great pages to check out Great. And I think with that book, like like you say, like maybe it criticizes or comments on other things, but the more perspectives we we learn from, the more we can like challenge our ideas of an ideal world and what that might look like. So yeah, I think that's a perfect recommendation. Thank you so much again, Tolly, for having me. And it's been truly a privilege to be on this show. So thank you so much.
As always, if you enjoyed this episode and want to follow the podcast elsewhere, then you can find it on Instagram at at idealisticallypod and on Twitter at at idealisticallyp. You can find me at at Tolmea, which is spelled T-O-L-M-E-I-A. And all the information, book recommendations, everything else you could ever possibly want will be in the description to the episode. Please feel free to leave a review on whatever podcast platform you are able to like, share, send it to your friends, send it to your mum. I will be forever grateful. Sound and editing by myself and music by Stowe Gregory. <laughs>